right, good morning, good morning. Good to see your faces this foggy day. It's always exciting to drive through when you can barely see what's in front of you. There's a spiritual analogy there somewhere, I'm sure. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Yes, by faith and not by sight. That is exactly right. If Galatians chapter 5, we have the, the privilege to, to press in still more. Really, the whole morning's going to be entrenched in the sweet place that is the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when you move your way through each of the qualities and characteristics, each of them meddle in our life in a really productive way, but at times it can be a little... Uh, disruptive, (laughs) Uh, a little uncomfortable. But my encouragement, we're going to see this this morning, lean into whatever spirit-led conviction the Lord desires to to rot in your life today through his word. Embrace it, love it, be teachable, malleable, all to his glory. Can we do that? All right, Galatians chapter 5, just a headline as as a couple people are making. You don't have an outline, you're not seeing things or failing to see things, you you just don't have one. That's just the truth of it. But I know all of you keep the notes from prior lessons and you have them at the ready. No. Um, But if you do, the outline's going to be very simple. We're covering three qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. We've covered love, joy, and peace. We have the next three today. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord's help. This morning, as we turn our attention yet again to his word. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the contrast of this Sunday, even from last, just in sheer weather. You display the the grandeur of your power, your ability to control the weather and seasons, conditions of the atmosphere in which we live. All of this compels us and reminds us that you are worthy of all praise. Lord, as while physical creation is telling of your glory, we also revel in the fact that your, your word reveals to us who you are and your will for our lives and what you desire, how you desire for us to live. We have plain instructions and descriptors as to what our lives are to be marked by if we be indwelt by your spirit. And so... Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the grace that surrounds us and covers us, even as we place our lives under the magnifying glass of your all-seeing eye. Uh, Would you deal with us? Would you unearth things and areas of which need to be dealt with? And Lord, may you change us into your likeness in ever-increasing fashion. We pray this now, this day, we pray it for your glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, main idea, just by way of reminder, last couple weeks, right? Big thank you to Ben who taught, stepped in last Sunday. Uh, He he razzed me a little bit that he was given a a text on giving. I said, congratulations. That's what you you get called in, you get the giving passage, Ben. So I asked him if anyone dared look him in the eye afterwards. He said, now that you mention it, not very many. Uh, So Ben will have you any time to teach on giving. Absolutely. Main idea for our text is an empowered use of Christian freedom should produce a life that reflects the character of God. An empowered use of Christian freedom should produce a life that reflects the character of God. Let's read Galatians 5, and I want to start further back since we took a little break. Verse 16. By way of reminder, but I say, Paul does, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. 
For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not a very attractive list, to say the least. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. An empowered use of Christian freedom should produce a life that reflects the character of God. Uh, You recall the message of Galatians, right? We are justified by God, by his what? Begins with G, ends with E. Grace, okay? And don't be ashamed of that. We are justified by his grace. We are placed in right standing with himself. We are set free from the curse of sin through the finished work of his son. Nothing needs to be added to this, which was the gross and tragic error of those in Galatia. The Judaizers were coming and saying, you have to add to grace in order for your salvation to be known and secure. No, God justifies us by his grace. And that now new life in Christ now results in ever-developing Christian character in your life. Why? It's because God's Spirit lives in, in you. There's new life present where death used to reign. There's now this superior power that resides within where flesh used to rule your life, dominate your life, enslave you. And so out of that new life now comes, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. Out of new life comes fruit. Everyone follow the logic? The logic's very plain and clear. You have been set free from the curse of sin. And those who have been set free from the curse of sin, that freedom should be continually manifested in you being set free from the corruption of sin day after day after day. I'm set free from its curse. But each and every passing day, the Spirit is enabling me to be set free from the corruption of that sin. And so the fruit of the Spirit is simply the outward expression of Christ dwelling within us. And as that beautiful image of Christ grows and develops, the harvest of that growth gives way to all sorts of expressions of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. What do these expressions of God's Spirit look like in life? It's a simple question. Well, it's verses 22 through 23. It's the ninefold qualities We see right here, it's the manifestation of God's own character that we love and cherish within us. Last time we covered, this was two weeks ago, love, joy, and peace. And those were all Godward aspects of the Christian life, meaning that they are the three graces that should mark our attitude as it relates to our relationship with God. Love, joy, peace, all bound up centered in our relationship with God. This Sunday, we find that Paul's description of spirit-produced character continues. 
And as the list continues, we find his description of Christian character to be all the more robust and expansive because now it moves to our attitude not just towards God, but also towards other people. Let's examine those spirit-produced graces or qualities that are to mark our attitude towards other people. There's three of them. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Some of you will say, we don't even need to go there. I'm already convicted at the outset, right? Patience. Let's park the car in that space for a minute. There's an old saying, and I'm not even sure where it originated, but patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women, but never in a man, right? And we chuckle at that. Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, seldom found in women, but never in a man. We, co- we, we, we chuckle at that, but we chuckle because it resonates with us. We understand that. Let me ask you this morning by way of just kind of feedback. What are those areas of life where impatience often proves most pernicious or prevalent? Areas in your life, don't even have to say your life, just broadly speaking, humanity, Areas of life where impatience rears its ugly head. What's that? Oh, there was like a resounding marriages and groan afterwards. Yes. What? Password reset. Excellent. Okay, the light turning green, driving, traffic. Excellent. Sticking, sticking to a schedule. What do you mean by that? We've got to be regimented with a schedule. Okay, excellent. And you go nuts if that doesn't happen. Raising children. Raising children. We had marriage. I was waiting for parenting. Excellent. You th- yes, no, no realm more sanctifying. Marriage, yes, for sure parenting. Rearing children. Anything else that you can think of? The workplace. Yeah, Absolutely. There's uh, people with idiosyncrasies and uh, preferences and quirks, right? And you have them. You say, no, I don't have them. Everyone else has them. No, we all have them. And we can grow impatient. J.B. Lightfoot, a theologian in the 1800s, he commented on this. He said, patience is endurance under injuries afflicted by others. MacArthur kind of noted and made a comment on J.B. Lightfoot's and expanded on this. He elaborated, and I think it's in your outline today. It says, patience has to do with tolerance and long-suffering that endure injuries afflicted by others, the calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating or painful. Anyone know of any irritating and painful scenarios, injuries experienced at the hands of other, others? This is what the word patience means, especially in the original language. It means long-suffering or long-tempered, okay? And this is where the the original language is very, very helpful to us. Why is that the case? It's because patience in the Greek literally means to be long of nose. Long of nose. Very peculiar way to express this. Why is that the case? Long of nose. What does that have to do with patience? Well, Not unlike today, anger in that day was indicated by rapid, violent breathing through your nostrils, right? And you can picture it. It provides a colorful image for us. 
rapid, violent breathing through your nostrils, you see a person doing that, you give the strong impression that that person is, is irritated. <laughs> They're being pained by something. There's perhaps impatience there. And so to be long of nose was to be delayed of anger or slow to wrath. And so when we hear patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, we smile because it resonates with us. Why? Is because we are not naturally born with long noses, right? We are born with short noses. No one has to tell us about our propensity toward impatience. You do not have to teach your child impatience. It's all over our lives from the moment of birth. We are not naturally born with long noses. Just look back to what we read a moment ago. The verses prior, Paul has already told us, listen, what, what is natural to you are the deeds of the flesh, right? Look at them for a moment. What is natural to you is enmity, strife, disputes, dissensions, factions, outbursts of anger. That is natural to you apart from God's spirit. We're all born with short noses, which means our natural disposition is not one of long suffering. It's not tolerance when we endure injury afflicted by others. And we most certainly do not naturally possess a calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating or painful. We had a moment today at our house where Natalie was making uh, this, this, uh, this juice, juice for a person, right? To make, have them feel better. And there's this picture that we have that's broken. And I walk out of the study and I walk into the kitchen. There is green juice all over the counter. And she's saying, help, help. And it takes me a second to ponder what it is we're talking about. And afterwards she says, you were so calm. You were so patient. That was so, that was so awesome. I said, well, just wait till where we are for Sunday, Sunday school, right? It helps. Patience. The Lord convicts. Because in that moment, I would have been inclined to be impatient. It's true. We are not prone to have a calm willingness to accept situations which are irritating or painful. If anything, the world around us ex- exemplifies the opposite, right? We're in kind of in a microwave generation. We want it now. We want it quick. We want it instant, right? From our food to everything else in between. Instant success and the quicker the better for our day and age. And so patience and long-suffering is not something that's naturally applauded in our culture. What Paul is saying is that not only should patience be applauded among the people of God, patience should be observed in the people of God. Why is that the case? It's because patience reflects whose character? God's character. Let me ask you this morning, uh, just in what ways... I want you to ponder, and I want you to celebrate this. In what ways do you know the patience of God? That's an open question. What's that? Repeated mercy and forgiveness. Excellent. A lot of head nods there. Amen and amen. What else? Mm, I love that. I, w- I almost wish you could say it in the microphone. So when I, can you say it loud for me? I don't want to butcher it because it was. When, when I sin and I'm 
Excellent. Can you guys hear that? When, when, I, when I sin and I'm crushed by the weight of that, the, the remorse, godly sorrow, and I repent, for godly sorrow produces such within me, God is kind and gentle, and I'm blessed in that. Thank you, Stephen. Anything else? Patience. How do you know it? Excellent. Romans chapter 9. Great place to turn. Turn there for a moment. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that. 9.22. Romans 9.22. And I'll read it loud because it's a good place to land. What if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared before him for glory, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Excellent. God overlooked. What do we know about, we have a a Savior who's scheduled to return, yes? And what is he going to bring with him when he returns? What's that? Okay, salvation in full, right? Glorification. What else? For those of us in Christ, yes. For those not in Christ, what is he bringing with them? Wrath. And what does God's word say, Second Peter? That in the meantime, between now and his return, what is God exhibiting? Patience, right? Not wishing any to perish, right? He's being patient with humanity even now, and yet he has a day fixed in which he will come, and he's going to bring judgment. He will bring wrath. But in this moment, he is patient. One of the many things that you and I marvel, we're going to sing about it in a moment, in our worship of him, is that our God is slow to anger, right? He's long-suffering with the likes of us. You'll know it, Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 86, 15, 103, verse 8. It's all over the Old Testament, right? The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. That's the word, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, that doesn't mean God's patience is boundless, is it? It's going to be a day when that patience runs out, and he will act with judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul encourages believers in the midst of persecution, and he says, listen, the Lord is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, right? He's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and who do not obey his gospel. And they will pay what? They will pay, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, eternal destruction. The penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is the day yet coming. God's patience with those who are not in Christ will one day come to a close. Now, for you and I, we don't always live being mindful of the Lord's patience, do we? Let me ask you this. What is one of the ways we abuse God's patience? We take advantage of it. Being slow to repent. Being Being stubborn, stiff-necked. 
What else? What's that? Thoughtlessness? Thoughtlessness, yeah. Just not even really giving reflection. Contemplating it. Thinking on it. And you cannot celebrate and revel in what you don't ponder over. Right? What else? Ways in which we take advantage or abuse his patience. Okay, yes, yeah, being slow to evangelize. If I'm celebrating the patience of God, I want to I wanna spend every single day in these days which he is patient with unbelievers, being faithful with that message he's given me. Natalie. Do you want people to be more patient with you than you expect of yourself? Okay. Excellent. So she said, you expect patience from other people and don't exhibit that yourself, right? You don't heap the same expectation on your own shoulders, right? Which definitely grieves the heart of God who is patient. Absolutely. What about do you, individuals will, will sin under the guise that uh, God's patient, God will forgive me, right? What does Paul say? Do we go on sinning that grace may abound? And what does he say to that question? Of course not. May it never be, right? Don't abuse the Lord's Patience. Romans 2, 4. There's a very convicting question to, to my own soul. Several believers were, in this context, they were passing judgment amongst other people within the church. They were judging one another. Well, we see it in Galatians 5, right? They were biting. <laughs> and he asked them this, Romans 2, 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and intolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you think lightly of his patience? Ouch, right? You see, the contemplation of this reality that our God is patient in conjunction with God's spirit that resides within us, that should do something to us. It should cause us to exhibit the same patience that the Lord has extended to us, amen? And extended such patience, we should extend to our relationships with others here on this earth. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says to be long-suffering is an important part of actually living in a way that is a manner worthy of the gospel, right? The way we as Christians are to relate to one another to be marked by this spirit-produced quality. That part of walking in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ and part of our being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with what? Patience, showing tolerance for one another and, and love. You see, there is something grossly wrong or off with us this morning. If you're a person here today who easily takes offense to something that someone else says or does, and is that you? You easily take offense over what someone else says or does? And instead of in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 13, assuming the best and believing the best, you grow hurt and intolerant and impatient. You take offense at every slight, whether it be real or imagined. When we do that, we are outside of God's will. We are bucking against his instruction to us. We are not patient. We're known as people who we talk about in our home, don't be an eggshell person, right? Right? What do we mean by that? 
Don't be a person that other people feel like they have to walk on eggshells on. Don't say the wrong thing. They're going to be easily hurt and offended and injured. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. If you are in Christ today, right? Colossians 3, 12, right? We are to wear patience like a garment around our neck. You are holy, chosen of God. Colossians chapter 3. We are to be patient with one another. Why? It's because the God that we belong to, the God that we rest in, is himself patient. And an empowered use of freedom in Christ should result in us reflecting this quality in our own life. Okay? Whew. Patience. Let's move forward. Fifth manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. There's a reason why 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient, love is, you know it, kind, right? It's because God is love. We are reminded last time that in love, God is incredibly kind to us. And we know this in the gospel. We know this in this message of grace that's over and saturating the book of Galatians. God is kind. That doesn't mean that he's soft, right? He's also firm and strong. His kindness coexists with his severity. Romans eleven twenty two says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. They exist simultaneously as being part of his nature. He's kind and yet severe. Didn't think about this, but in the... Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, which talks about Aslan, right? Where it talks about he's, what does he say? Natalie, you remember it. He's not safe. He's good, but there's something severe about him was the comment, right? Behold the kindness and severity of God. We have a God who is both kind as well as severe because he's holy and he's just. Titus 3.1, it's on the PowerPoint today. It's talking about remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And verse 2, here it is, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also, and this is so much how the New Testament letters work, right? This is who you once were. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, and pleasure, spending our life in, and here's the opposite of kindness, in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's who we were. That's the antithesis of kindness. But look at verse four. But when the, what? Kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, and praise God it did. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we were done in righteousness, which the Galatians needed to be mindful of. It wasn't circumcision. He saved you not on the basis of deeds done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by, listen Galatians, his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ours was a life of malice, and envy, deeds of the flesh that are the opposite of kindness. But when the kindness of God invaded our lives, in that moment, the washing of regeneration, we're literally never the same again, are we? God's spirit comes and dwells within us. 
And if God's spirit is, is within us, he's about the work of filling our lives with kindness. How do we understand kindness? What on earth is it? It's important to know. Let's just keep it simple this morning for a definition. Kindness is a tender concern and care for other people. No need to overcomplicate it. A tender concern and care for other people. Is that not what Titus 3 just conveyed to us? We had not merited kindness, had we? But kindness was dispensed all the same, right? Through a fiery concern for his own glory and through a tender concern for those of us who God made in his image, God's kindness appeared to us in the form of who? In the form of his son, right? And he saved us through that expression of kindness. Paul says, he poured it out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so because the Lord is kind, again in Colossians 3.12, we are to put on kindness. We are to have a tender concern for other people. Friends, this, this is where this is particularly convicting for us, okay? This is convicting for us is because we often extend kindness, but we often extend kindness in ways that are artificial and self-serving. Let me pause there for a moment. We often extend kindness in ways that are artificial and self-serving. Let's just do some hard groundwork for a moment. Why do we do this and what does it look like? When I say we often extend kindness in ways that are artificial and self-serving, what is it that we are saying and what does it look like? Being boastful, which we'll get to in Galatians 5 right at the end. Excellent. What does boasting look like in relationship to kindness? Arrogant. Thanks for the synonym for boastful. Arrogant. That was good. Yeah, ex- excellent. Joe, I know I can give you a hard time. What's that? Look what I've done, right? We puff out our chest. Look at me. I dare not express kindness unless someone else can see it, right? What else? In ways that are self-serving. Why do we extend kindness in ways that are self-serving, Laura? Yes, because I want it to be reciprocated to me, right? No, 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 no harm wanting to enjoy a fellowship which is marked by kindness. But we don't extend kindness in order to reap something back to us, Right? That's what we mean by self-serving. I want it to be reciprocated. An outward action, but inside is not a tender concern and care for people. Excellent. They look radically different. There's a kindness that's extended to people, and I, I could care less whether or not someone sees it, right? A note, an encouraging word, a prayer that that person never knows, but you care for them, you concern for them. Manifested in prayer, even on to tangible ways. We often can desire to appear kind to others in order to manipulate others into getting what we want, right? So our kindness in those moments is nothing but disguised selfishness. Brings to mind Luke chapter 10, you'll recall the parable of the the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus shows us what kindness looks like through the gospel, right? He shows this unfeigned affection, this 
no expectation of reciprocated kindness, and he extends kindness to this stranger there in the parable, right? And his kindness is not contingent upon that stranger being kind to him back. It's not dependent upon that. King David was a man after God's own heart, and he he exhibited this in his own life. You'll remember in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David acted with kindness toward Mephibosheth. And you'll remember who Mephibosheth was, right? He was the son, the last remaining surviving descendant of King Saul. And how would you describe King Saul's relationship to David? Wasn't good. It was malice and envy, hostility. It was the deeds of the flesh, right? But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David acts with kindness towards Mephibosheth by keeping him alive and not having him killed. When we consider the context of this, this should speak volumes to us because Mephibosheth was a possible rival to David. He was the son of the very one who sought to take David's life and take his throne for himself. From 2 Samuel 9, lets us know that Mephibosheth was not only young, but he was also crippled. And so David showed kindness toward Mephibosheth, right? Unfeigned affection. He, he spared Mephibosheth's life. And he did not spare Mephibosheth's life because he could, Mephibosheth could someday repay him. It was just unmerited. There was no expectation of return. David was kind to Saul's son. Our lives don't always embody that kind of same kindness, does it? Oftentimes our lack of kindness towards others is usually because of self and sin. We are marked more by the deeds of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit. True kindness reflects the kindness of God himself. Albert Barnes, 19th century theologian, put it this way, religion makes no one crabbed and morose and sour. I love that. It sweetens the temper corrects an irritable disposition, makes the heart kind, and disposes us to make all around as happy as possible. Makes the heart kind. We are to be kind to one another as well as people beyond these walls. Why? It's because the God that we worship and belong to is kind. We keep moving forward. Look at Galatians 5.15. I want to read what we, a second ago. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Does that look like a kind atmosphere? Is that how the church of Jesus Christ is to look like? Biting and devouring one another? And yet from any given time, if the enemy has his way and he has a way of which he desires to work, that's exactly what he desires to work among the people of God, is it not? A people who are, look no different than the rest of the world, biting and devouring each other. That is not to be the case for people who are indwelt and filled with God's spirit. Finally, the third grace that should mark our attitudes towards others is goodness. Goodness, word there means to be generous and caring to those who do not deserve it. Generous and caring to those who do not deserve it. It is moral and spiritual excellence or uprightness that is known by its sweetness to other people. Is that you? Are you sweet to other people? 
You'll remember in Matthew 20, right? It's the benefit of knowing the life of Christ. Jesus gave a parable that conveyed the very goodness that belongs to God the Father. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers, laborers for his vineyard. And you know the rest of the parable, right? The landowner goes out for multiple parts of the day, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, even the eleventh hour, and he brings in laborers into the field to work for him. And then at the end of the day, what does the landowner proceed to do? He proceeds to pay each of the laborers, and he starts with who first? The one that he hired last, and the one that he only worked an hour, right? And he paid them all the same. What was the response of all the other laborers? They were ticked, right? They were not happy, as Steve says. They were furious. They grumbled against the landowner. And you remember what the landowner's response was. Matthew 20, verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Or the word there is good, right? A generosity, a caring for those who do not deserve it. They were livid. God exhibits this kind of generosity and goodness. He lavishes this generosity and care on you who don't deserve it. Just to prime the pump for a moment, you're going to sing a song in just a moment. There's a following line. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? You know the rest of the line. In our great Redeemer's blood. God is good. God is good. And our response to his goodness should be twofold, right? I should be compelled to praise him with every fiber of my being. I want to shout it out from the rooftops. God is good. God is good. But also too, I should be compelled to want to emulate that same quality and characteristic in my life, right? So much of King David's own resolve in life, as well as his actions that were birthed out of that resolve, flowed from a deep understanding regarding this characteristic of God, the goodness of God. Psalm 23, verse 6, right? He's speaking of the good shepherd. You know this passage. And what resting in his shepherd's care meant for his own soul. And he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to read... In just a moment, at the beginning of the main service, Psalm 27, I believe. And in that psalm, David is hard-pressed on every side, and he's lamenting profusely the persecution that's around him. He's grieving over the war that his enemies have brought against him, and that is seeking to wage war against his people that he rules. And in the midst of these trials, trials that withdraw prompt many people to throw in the towel, David has these conversations with himself. In Psalm 27. In fact, three conversations with himself. And what does he do in each of those conversations? How does he help balance the ups and downs of life? All three of those conversations with himself are centered around one thing. The goodness of God in his life. He says in Psalm 27, 13, he confessed that he would have despaired. Unless he had believed that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He dwelt on the goodness 
of God. And what a phenomenally productive activity to adopt in life. To consistently, routinely have a reflex to dwell upon the goodness of God in your life. We sing regarding his generosity and care towards us. And that singing and that celebrating and that reveling, what does that do? It also cultivates still greater confidence in us that God is good, right? Natalie's Nana, and Ruthie's named after her, she would say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? North Lake, if we really believe that, if you believe that, that God is good, you would seek to emulate that same quality in your life. Our lives should be marked by generosity. Let me ask you, is it? Is your, are your hands wide open or do you have white-knuckled grip on the things in your life, possessions and resources? Or do you genu- genu- genuinely and generously give away? Do you bless? Do you have a concern for other people? Look at Galatians 6.10. Later in this very letter. That was unplanned. Who did that? We have lost all focus. Galatians 6.10. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, another text here, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the church is young, they're discouraged, they're disturbed by deception, they're distracted by disobediences around them. And what was Paul's great prayer for them? 2 Thessalonians 1.11. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, to this end, also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the word of faith and power. That was his prayer. God would fulfill every desire for goodness. Let me ask you this morning, is this church, think about this seriously, is this church known by its generosity and sweetness towards other people? Is it known by its generosity and sweetness toward one another? It ought to be. When people visit here, what is it that they see? Are our lives marked with the characteristic of goodness? It ought to be. Why? Because our lives should reflect the character of the one that we belong to and the one that we worship. This all leads us to our next hour when we're going to observe still more graces that should mark our character. Those specifically in regard to our attitude towards oneself. You have faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you may want to take a moment to breathe and relax and rest up under the weight of conviction because if we keep going in the list in front of us, okay? I'll give you an exercise this week just to... Uh, Spend time in Galatians 5, and I want you to take maybe one, two, if you've got, got the gumption, maybe one, two, or three of these on the list. Which one stings the most when you read it in terms of conviction? 
in terms of equality is lacking in my life. That is not pronounced. I don't know if people would say that about me. Make note of it. Tell someone. Bring it before the Lord. And commit and resolve to see God work in your life. To see that characteristic grow and be manifested in your life in ever increasing ways. Can we do that? Take one or two. Have godly sorrow, sorrow over, over it, right? Don't listen to the accusation of the enemy that you are condemned because you lack patience. That's not the message of Galatians. We're saved by grace. But that grace should also compel us to want to see impatience eradicated from us. Unkindness removed. Goodness to be marked in our life. Tell someone, a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ, bring that before the Lord and commit and resolve to see that grow in your life under the instruction of his word. Can we do that? All right. If you need help, find a brother and sister. I'm working on this. Can, can you help, right? Pray for me, hold me accountable, follow up. What are you reading? What can I be reading around that subject and that quality that's reflected in God himself, okay? Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for this day. We We do thank you for grace. We thank you while this this passage has a way of getting into our life and stirring and adjusting and moving things around. This is for our good. We are to be ever conformed into your likeness and that's gonna be an activity, a productive activity that's going to take place over us from the moment that we come to Christ to the moment that we go to you in glory. Every day in between is a moment in which you do not leave us as we are. You sanctify us. You in care for us. And for regard for your own glory, you work on us. You, you bring conviction and sorrow. Lord, we pray that you would lead us to repentance over whatever needs to be repented in this list. And Lord, would you do a work among us. We, we do not want to charge ahead with these in our own efforts of wanting to be patient by our own strength or, or kind or exhibit goodness and generosity. Lord, that is, we are in desperation. We are desperately need your assistance, your enabling. And so if this text does anything in our life, it's, it's to remind us of that desperation that we are to have. Lord, we look to you. May you produce these things in our life for your glory. May we avail ourselves to the means of grace to see it be so. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.